Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session entitled Worship Theology in Contemporary Songs, Brandon Dipsy takes a closer look at worship from a biblical perspective through our leading, singing, and planning. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. charts as well, do a lot of writing, producing, and but I love working with worship teams. That's that's my my joy and passion. And understanding exactly what our role is in leading worship, what our role is as worshipers before God and followers of Christ. And what does it mean to be a, a team player within our congregation? And so today we're going to be talking about our songs. And uh, Josh, would you mind hitting that this front row of lights? Thanks, man. And so what I'm sharing today are just practicalities and, and things that I've learned from going to churches. And basically, I get called around the country. I, I speak at a lot of churches, a lot of events, just like this, this conference. I go to churches one-on-one, work with their worship leaders, their worship teams. And I, I, I love doing this because I'm just, I'm a big learner, and I, and I believe that sharing what we learn is, is a vital part of equipping and growing God's church. So it's a closer look at worship from a biblical perspective through our leading, singing, and planning. So let's start with this phrase right here. Worship music is not synonymous. Okay? Not. You think that people, I tell you what, if you ask people in your church, what is worship, what would they say? Music. Yeah, what else would they say? What is worship? Maybe they'll say, well, the singing time. You hear that phrase. Or that's when the, the band gets up and they do their thing. <laughs> well, let's understand something. Worship and music are separate. Here's why. Worship is a response. Music is a tool. I want to speak more about what worship is, but it is a response. It is a verb. Music is a noun. It's a tool. That's the difference. Singing, praying, reading are acts of praise. These are vehicles to connect with God, <clears throat> as well as our instruments, as well as our voices. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. That is a statement of worship right there, giving unending praise and unyielding praise to God. Why should we take worship more seriously? I mean, really, aren't they just songs? Isn't it just a singing time? Well, 1 Chronicles 25, 1, I'd like for you to look at this verse critically. Because, see, David took worship seriously. King David took worship as a means of command. Check this out. It says, David together with the commanders of the army. Right, let's stop right there. David together with the commanders of the army. David together with the commanders of the army. Not the bishops. He wasn't together with the priests. 
David was together with the commanders of those that were fighting for the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. He sets them apart, the sons of Ahaz, Hermon, and the Jewishim, for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by the band, harp flyers, and cymbals, with the commanders of the army. What it's saying here is that David took worship as a means of national security. It was vital. It was vital to Israel. It was vital for the people of God. Do we have that same kind of perspective today in our churches, that we take worship that seriously? Or are we only concerned about that last line, harps, lines, and lyres and cymbals? Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, Hebrews 13.5, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. So look at authentic biblical worship. What is it? Well, worship is a response according to God for who he is, how he reveals himself through scripture. Worship is a response according to who God is and how he reveals himself through scripture. So if the Bible says that God is holy, we worship him because he's holy. If the Bible declares that he is righteous, we give him praise for his righteousness. When the Bible says that our Lord is a slow to anger, quick to mercy, gracious God, holy, compassionate. We give him honor and worth because he deserves it. So that intersects with praise, experience, fellowship, service, the arts. All of those intersect in worship. In other words, all of those are acts. The hearing of the word, preaching the word, community service, relationships, fellowship, those are acts of worship, acts of praise where we serve God, we serve others. But here, our greatest expression and worship to God is obedience. Billy Foote said that. Good friend of mine. Obedience means worship to God. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
myself and, and my son and my new people. I rely on our greatest expression yet. Billy Foote wrote the song, uh, Amazing Love, You Are My King, and that's another great <laughs> Billy is just, he's as real as you can get, just a sweet guy. Worship is neither traditional nor contemporary. Traditional and contemporary, those are styles. That's preferential. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou must worship with a hymn, thou must worship with a guitar. Well, no, it does kind of say worship with lyres and strings. You just read that. But it didn't say it must be contemporary music. It must be with a, a distortion pedal. Let's say that. So the lyrics that we choose, let's talk about that in the in the in the framing of our services and, and let's get something clear too. I, I make this name change. Instead of calling it worship service, I'm now using the term service of worship. Because that's really where it's found. We serve the Lord through worship. We're not serving, well, in a way we are serving people, but it's not serve us. Serve him. Let's talk about that. That's found in the lyrics that we choose are to reflect. It should be. Sorry for that typo. Lyrics we choose are to reflect, are reflective of God's nature and timeless truths. So we sing the the hymn, How Great Is Our God. That is a perfect declaration of the greatness, nature, and timeless truth of God. Age to age, he stands. The lion and the lamb. I mean, those words right there mean something. Just like the, the, the hymns that you sing. A lot of people say, well, yeah, but there's nothing like a good old hymn. Well, you know what? Hymns have bad, there's a lot of hymns that do have bad theology, like contemporary music's got bad theology. They're both the same. But I tell you what, there's nothing, for me, I love it as well as my soul, how great thou art. Those are my, those are my two favorite hymns. Contemporary songs, I have a lot of favorites in those too, but there's some contemporary songs I love, but I won't do them, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that later. It's not bashing, it's just theological approach. Hymns and contemporaries have their flaws. How do we honor God with our words? That's the main point. How do we honor, how do we honor God and edify people with the words that we choose in our services? Think about the words that we choose in our prayers. Do we pray that God... You hear this all the time, you know, and I, and I, and I mean this lovingly. The pastor, you know, Lord, um, I pray that, uh, I pray for my words to say. Lord, I, I pray that, um, I pray that you use me effectively. And those are great, those are great prayers. But, but are they really prayers of, of words that, Lord, help me be conscious of what I say, that how I address you is right? When do you ever hear a worship leader say that or pray that? Like, Lord, as, as you, and I'll open, I'll open up our service and I'll just say, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just, we serve you in this time of worship. Just let our words be right. Let our attitudes be fixed on you. Accessibility of words and music was the key and purpose of evangelical gospel hymns, but that does not mean that profound theological insights and sound composition cannot be found among them. Ruth Duff. It's a great book, Finding Words of Worship. It's an awesome book. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in a lot of your presence. Have you really learned how to acclaim God? I mean, think about that. Think about how you pray and worship God and acclaim his name. But 
Are you really learning what that means to praise God? What does it mean to learn that? A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors. He wrote the book, Nautilus Holy. And I love the statement, how do we approach God rightly? Wow. And think about that. When you come to your services of worship, when you plan and prepare your worship, how do you rightly plan for an everlasting, incomprehensible God? How do you plan for that? How do you, how do you imagine God's going to speak into that and be honored by that? Do you just throw worship songs together because you've got to fill the query? You've got to fill the time before the pastor's going to speak, you know, the 20-minute setup of worship, or maybe it's a 10-minute setup of worship for you? And that's just it. We regulate the music time, and we, consi- we consider that worship, where we leave out the message, because it's the pastor's time. He's going to speak. Where is God? I found in one church that I served that everything was so programmed within the worship order that it was almost as, as if we were putting God in a box. And I stared back and looked at the looked at the bulletin, as we used to call it. And I asked the pastor, where's God? And he looked at me and he goes, you know, you're right. What have you ever heard a pastor say that to? So we just took the bulletin and we just scrapped it. Pastor gets up and he goes, you know, Brandon and I were just talking about this before the service and we had everything detailed nice. We had a nice service and you can see people in their seats like, is God ready now? He said, you know, we had everything detailed, the right songs, we had a good message. We're just going to scrap that all together. Shock went over the whole congregation, about 400 people. What are we going to do? Pastor said, you know what, we're just going to be real worship God. And I'm just going to, I had a message prepared today, but I'm going to speak on this about how, how badly we put God in a box. And no longer do we care about the words in our services. No longer do we care about framing together a service that pleased God. Think about it. What happens in Amos? Amos had all their, book of Amos in the Old Testament, had all their festivals, had all their sacrifices, their offerings to God. Man, they thought they were great. And they had loud, jubilant songs and feasts. And man, they really just got into it. And what did God say? God said, take away your festive sounds, for it's noise to me. He said it's noise to me. Are the services we put together, are they noise to God? And that's the question we need to be asking. So again, learn to play God. How do you learn that? Jesus said it right here. You learn it by taking my yoke upon you. Learn from me. The way Jesus prayed to God, the way Jesus communed with God, the way Jesus led his disciples, the way he loved people. Jesus said right here, learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's how we learn to acclaim God, is through, is through Christ, with the loving nature of God. Mark D. Roberts is a huge mentor of mine. He speaks all over the country, Worship Leader Magazine. He writes for Worship Leader Magazine. He is my theology professor, and I have a hard time calling him Mark. <laughs> so Dr. Roberts is um, what I used to call him. So let's see what he has. Worship leaders refer to the New Testament because it's new and because maybe that embraces contemporary. Others embrace the Old Testament in terms of what is proper worship theology for respect of the worship leaders. So what do you say to that? Well, I, I'm in the both-and category, believing that the whole scripture is God's word to us, and we, we need it together. Uh, 
if, if we only were to worship out of the Old Testament, of course, we would only get the sort of a look ahead to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment wouldn't be there. If we uh, only use the New Testament, we miss so much of what even the New Testament itself means, but we also miss the, 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 the breadth and the richness that comes from the worship of God's people uh, you know, before Christ, but anticipating Christ. And, you know, one of the greatest examples of that kind of thing, where, where, where old and new comes together and the need for it, is one of the most familiar worship songs uh, that we know as Joy to the World, you know, the Christmas Carol. That was not actually written as a Christmas Carol. That was written... Not the three dog <laughs> No, not that one. Okay. <laughs> the other one, Brandon. Uh, and, uh, you know, Isaac Watts, took the songs, and he went through every song and wrote songs of worship that were based very closely on the song, but it was not a literal word-for-word -word basis, but he used the psalm and, and then kind of wrote his own poetry. Uh, and as he got to Psalm 98, he reflected on that psalm that speaks of God's coming and the coming of the king. But then, of course, he interpreted it in light of Christ. You know, so joy to the world, the Lord is come or has come. This that was was promised in Psalm 98, uh, it, it has now been fulfilled in Christ. And, and the richness of that song has to do that it takes the, the Old Testament understanding of kingdom and, and the coming of the Lord, but then interprets it in light of Christ. And, and so we need both. We need what, what the Old Testament gives us theologically uh, and, and in terms of imagery, powerful imagery in the Psalms and elsewhere. And we need to understand that in light of Christ and, and the difference he makes. You can find our podcast that we do about two to three times a month. Um, we're going to a new radio network on the West Coast, so we'll be reaching about 50,000 people. But right now, we, we have about 60,000 people that is our audience, and, and we have like 8,000 subscribers of the podcast or something, and all they are is just conversations, just real stuff about worship theology like what we're doing today. There's team aspects, leadership stuff, musical stuff that happens in your church. So tune in when you get a chance at our website slash podcast. So let's talk about lyrical poetry. What is lyrical poetry? We honor God with our words of worship. The Psalms contain a biblical wealth of poetry for worship. So where is that found? The Psalms are a perfect illustration of that. Now, going back to the Psalms, Mark, can you tell us what, what is important for worship leaders and well, for worship today regarding the Psalms? Well, there's so much there because, you know, the Psalms really are worship songs. I mean, they, they, were, they were written as, as songs for worship, and in fact, they were sung uh, among the, the, the Israelites. And so this is, so we not only have some of the very first worship songs ever written, but the ones that were inspired by the Holy Spirit in a unique way. So what a great resource. You know, when we look at the Psalms, we see all kinds of things that are important. We see tremendous variety. You know, we see just praise that's jumping off the page. We see uh, uh, songs of, of agony and crying out to God. We see songs that are, are uh, more reflective. We see songs that are more expressive. And so one of the things we learn from the Psalms is to... Uh, 
be expansive in our worship. You know, it's easy for us sometimes to get just in one mode. You know, we do praise, we do thanks, then we ask for God's help, and then we are done, or, or whatever. And I think the Psalms challenge us to be, uh, to be broader in our expressions. One of the most powerful things in the Psalms, in fact, I kind of wrote a whole book about that, my book uh, uh, on sort of wrestling with God oh, yeah. in prayer. Uh, right. and, and that book uh, looks at the Psalms and says, look at the tremendous freedom and, and openness of the psalmist. I mean, they're not holding back. They are, if they're praising, man, they're, they're letting go. I mean, they're shouting to God, and that's what they say frequently. Uh, when they're upset with God, they're letting him have it. And uh, so I think one of the things we really learn from the Psalms is to be freer, not only broader in our expression, but really to be fully who we are, not to hold back, and, uh, and really to let God have our praise, have our unhappiness, have our doubts, have our confidence, put it all out there before him. So the Psalms tell us what worship is and who God is. The Psalms are worship songs, as we just heard. They're, they're the first written songs of worship, inspired by the Holy Spirit in a great way. Like what Mark was saying, praise, prayers, agony, reflective, expressive freedom. The Psalms enable us to express worship in a large variety of ways. They don't hold back. So it's very much needed to read the songs in your services of worship. Maybe even introduce the service that way. Instead of doing a song, why not introduce it with just a prayer? Why not introduce it with just the reading of maybe Psalms 89? Or to have maybe a classical guitar in the background playing as you read Scripture. Or to have the congregation recite Scripture. Now, I have both a Baptist and a very also weird liturgical background as well, because in my master's studies I did a lot of liturgical arts, and I served in a Lutheran church for about four and a half years, and a few Methodist churches too. What I've learned from those experiences are the way they frame words in worship, the way they select and choose words that are meaningful, and the praise and the prayers, and the, the, the reciting of creeds, the reciting of the prayers, the reciting of scripture. When we read together, it is synonymous of singing together because we are one voice. That is corporate worship in its essence. It's not Corporate worship is not defined as everyone singing. It is defined as the people of God, the laity, the people of God embracing God with one voice and one spirit and in truth. So you hear that term thrown around a lot. Well, we, we worship in spirit and truth. We worship. What does that really mean? You worship in spirit and truth. Worshiping in the spirit of Christ as one body, as members being joined together as Christ had declared the church to be, in the truth, meaning that we are a scripture, and we are responding to God according to who he is through that. That is the spirit, and that is the truth, not regulated down to a song. So here's a psalm of ascent. We talk about that. <clears throat> Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. What, what is he saying to God right here? What is David saying to God? I'm hurting. Hear me. Are you up there? I mean, when do you feel that in your times with the Lord? In your times maybe deep at night where no one else is around, no one else can hear you? you and God, all the dark? Or what is it like when maybe something like 
For us, we had a baby last Monday, and I, I haven't gotten over it yet. I never will. And I'm on this mountaintop experience. So what, what are my prayers like? God, thank you. I'm just rejoicing. But why is it then when we feel these emotions, we feel that we need to somehow contain them and shift into this really weird response mode to God and just kind of do worship right here in this little box on Sunday? When all of life is lived out here through the scriptures and through experience and through relationships, when do you express that in worship? It doesn't mean that you've got to go nuts and run around the congregation like the Olympics or something. It just simply means that you respond to God according to who he is. And you worship the Lord with if it is, you know, posturing the hands are, are very biblical. Very biblical. You you read in the scripture, let's go, go to another one. You read in scripture that the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My my heart leaps for joy. Look, look at that. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. In song is a tool. Here the worshiper is declaring trust, strength, and joy in the Lord. He's giving thanks. So think about that. What are some hymns and contemporary songs that come to mind that revolve around that scripture? Exactly. Exactly. What else? What about um, another hymn? Contemporary song? Everlasting God. Right? Reading through the popular songs to biblically study the lyrics. Let's talk about that. When selecting songs, read through the lyrics. Don't just base it on the musicality because it's got a really cool guitar riff. Mm -hmm. Or you love the harmony of the chorus because, wow, they do this kind of layering thing and linear harmony. I mean, that's all good. But what are the lyrics saying? Are the lyrics really honoring God? Do they line up with Scripture? That's a big one. Measure the words accordingly as you do Scripture. Paul already instructs us to that. That Scripture is given for us, given to us to do what? Interpret. Interpret and to study again, so we may show ourselves approved. See if the words stand biblically on their own. When you read a song, when you read the lyrics alone, do they line up biblically? Do they make sense? Or is it just? I love you, I love you because you're God. I love you, I love you, I love you because you're Jesus. I mean, that may be a great song. It could have a great melody. I mean, really, it could be the coolest song in the world, but should you do it based on that reason? Or should you do it because of the words? So look, if you're doing it on the musicality, then just play it as a special for the offering. Or introduce the service for that. If you really love the song that much, cool. But if you're trying to use it for a corporate worship song, Select it on the words. Now, here's where I'm going to go to my rant. The song that everyone loves, and I loved it for a long time too, but I stopped doing it in our church, which is called uh, Matt Redman's song, The Heart of Worship. Now, you may be asking yourself why, okay? And I can feel the sandpaper already. People love that song. Well, here's my problem with that song. Matt Redman, I don't have a problem with. He's, he's a great man of God. Knows the scripture. But when he wrote that song, there's a story behind it, and the story is a great purpose. But the song itself, I just have a little hang-up question. And that's just me. It may not make a big deal to anybody else, but the chorus is all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, last time I checked Scripture, uh, Jesus is also part of the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 
So if I were to say it's all about Jesus, am I really speaking biblical truth that it really is all about Jesus? How can it be all about Jesus if the Father himself is, is neglected? That's who he sent. And then the Spirit of the living, of the living God of the Old Testament. And then the Spirit of Christ. What about that? Is it really all about Jesus there? I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it is it's partly about Jesus. So that's, that's why we don't do the song anymore. Because it's not all about Jesus. And I don't want... Uh, we need to be careful with the words for our congregation so they don't walk out with false theology thinking, well, yeah, it is all about Jesus. I just want to make a comment on whether it's the contemporary music or more traditional. Too often people go to the particular song because it makes them feel good. Right. And I, I find even uh, some of the traditional hymns I've known all my life, I'm the keyboardist, so I can play them. But a lot of the words I haven't made that much attention to. Yeah. And as choir director, I, I try to gear the people to really look at these words and, and what are they saying, the depth of, and uh, our reaction musically to the rhythm and the melody is really immaterial in some ways, yeah. uh, just because a song makes us feel good, whether it's the old In the Garden or some some newer song, um, you know, some of the older people that I know who criticize, you know, some of the wild music, they would call it, but they have their favorites, and the bottom line is it makes oh. them feel good and it takes them back to some past memory. Right. And I think too much in our worship we have missed the boat on that if people are just trying to feel good. I just think that's the main goal. We, that's a, that's a, that's a very foundational point that the church fights over. We're, we're going to look at some songs that actually address those topics of the feel-good thing with you on that. Thank you. Ask these three questions. What does, on your song, what does this passage say about God? And then what is this song or songwriter saying about God? And then are the words true? Not popular about God. Are they true about God? So let's look at one song. This is a good, feel-good song right here that a lot of people love. Okay? And I know that because our church, they love this song. I don't like to do it. And I'll tell you why. So let's look at the lyrics. On a hill far away stood the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old rugged, old cross where the dearest and best, sorry, for a world of lost sinners and slain. Nothing wrong with that. Right? All right, here we go. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Do you see anything wrong with that refrain? Why don't they write songs about the towel of Jesus when he wrapped himself around, you know, to um, you know, wash feet or maybe the tub basin? They didn't write a song about that. I mean, that could be a song. <laughs> Anything could be a song. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a right song for illustrating right words. So let's look at. Uh, we've already we've already done this, and you guys, man, you get you get gold stars for today. That's wonderful. Oh, yay. Next one. 
Alright, so let's look at another cherished contemporary song of time, Above All. Right, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom, all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth, the treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Great. Nothing wrong with that either. Chorus. Crucified, laid behind the stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took a fall and thought of me above all. Anything wrong with that? You took the fall and thought of me above all. Say that again. You took the fall and thought of me above all. Where was Jesus at that moment? Where was Jesus? <clears throat> Okay, what was Je yeah, let's ask that. What was Jesus' last thought on the cross? The Father, why have you forsaken me? I love when you will launch. It's, it's not him. It's just the words that we choose. God wasn't, I'm sorry to burst your Sunday church bubble, but God wasn't thinking, Jesus wasn't thinking about me above all. He was thinking about the Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We need to be introspective of the words that we choose. So look, if I, my suggestion is this. If you love this song, do the song. But maybe set it up in context before you do it. And you can even say that. I've done that many times, right, Josh? In a worship, in a worship service. I'll just say, you know, this song talks about you took the fall and thought of me above all. Well, let's just remember that Christ fixated on the Father, and through that, we're in Christ. And then you just go into the song. Or, after the song, you can, you know, I think it's always better to set the song up first and just tell them if there's an obscure in the lyric, you can address that to the congregation, because that's a great way, number one, of teaching right theology and correcting it in the moment. Or, you can always change the words. You're not going to hurt the songwriter's feelings. You know, you, you thought of the father, you thought of the father above all. I mean, it may sound kind of funny, but look, you gotta do what works for your congregation because again, our problem as a worship team is that we can be blind leading the blind. And that's look, leading worship is a form of teaching. It is a serious thing. So um, we've already done that. Let's move on. So let's check another one. All hell power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. So, why is this a good hymn? Let's back up to that slide, Brittany. Why, why is that good? Is that a good hymn? Yeah, because everybody knows what a diadem is. <laughs> so we can relate to them all. Right. But uh, I'm sure it's a good hymn. I'm sure it's a good hymn. Well, it gives gives honor to Jesus. Yes. It focuses on him. All hail the power. All hail what? The power of who? Jesus. Let angels prostrate fall. Angels bowing. That's all scriptural, right? Mm -hmm. Bring forth the royal crown, the diadem, the jewels in the crown. 
and crown him Lord of all. Bring Say it again. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. When have you last said that in a song, thought about that? The emphasis here. It's emphasizing here the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. Bring forth, I mean, it's like the, the in the same way as, as we say to Jesus, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Crown him Lord of all. The same way that we respond to God in that way. Why do we do that? It's because the prodigal father said that to the lost son. Bring the robe, put a ring on his finger, slay the fat calf, for my son is found, he is not dead. That is the very reason why we want to crown him Lord of all. And you can even say that in a worship service, too. I mean, your congregation probably goes, whoa. Got another song, Revelation song. Jenny's a dear friend of mine, and uh, we're starting to work together now. Um, couldn't hurt her feelings. I can say anything about it. That's not true. Um, we talked a lot about this, but read this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Chorus: Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is. With all creation, I sing. Praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Anything wrong with this? Okay, yeah. Anything wrong with that? The verse at that part of chorus comes right out of Revelation. Yeah. The scripturally, it's saying. You can't say anything about it. What about the chorus? Same thing? <laughs> Jenny's story is, is that she, um, in, a, in a prayer, she was praying, God, just saying these words from Scripture into her heart and just wrote them down. I mean, that right there is solid songwriting. It's, it's right on the money scripturally. It's got a great melody. It's simple. People can relate to it. And it's easy to sing. It is. Next slide. So when we sing, do we really mean it? Do we do it? Okay, let's, let's hear what Billy has to say about this. Wouldn't that have been a great expression of worship to God to help a foreigner 
I was just nice to but it never occurred to me to do anything past that. But I was quote the good Christian kid. But I had a chance, I could have helped teach him English. It's not as simple as that. Teaching a Korean kid English, I think would have brought would have brought much glory to God. And I never thought about it that way. I was content to sing songs and go to church. And that's the that was the extent of my Christianity. Sing songs, go to church, don't do bad things. Wow. Yeah. That's all. That's all new. Yeah. Well, what about the things that I could do? What about reaching out to him? It never occurred to me. It never occurred to me. But I think that's, I just think there's all these opportunities that we have as Christians in America. And for a lot of us, we're content to not do bad things, go to church, and sing. So there's, there's one of the big songs right now. It's a great song, uh, God of the City. You know, you're God of the City. Great song, wonderful song. I'm afraid that there is a generation who loves to sing that song, but they have no desire to be the hands and feet of God in the city. And so, it's a great, it's a great, wonderful song. But we, we have, yeah. What? So, what are we doing? If we're going to see greater things have yet to come, so what are most kids, what are most Christians doing in their city to help extend the kingdom of God? All sorts of things that we could be doing. Yeah. So, it's just something I think about. So, in your services of worship, are you putting up songs in the service for people to come to your church? Or are you programming lyrics and words to be spoken in your church that go to them? That's the difference. People aren't just going to come to your church because they want to. Because maybe you got a cool band or you do cool songs. Look, if that's the case, they can stay at home and be entertained. They can watch YouTube or turn on the TV and get the same experience. What are you doing? What are your words saying that really go to them? This is why corporate worship matters. It says, come, this is from Scripture, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel. Why? Why do we kneel? Because he's the Lord our maker. For he is our who? God. And who are we in God? We are the people of his pasture. But what else are we? This endearing term, the flock. Under his care, the shepherd. Psalm 95. Love that song as the deer. I, I will always love that song because so my soul pants for you. That's what it says. So what is scripture saying here that indicates corporate worship? We're the people of his care. So... This is why in Congregational Song, the human voice is the most widely known and used instrument of all time. Since the dawn of man, people have painted memories, dreams, and emotions through the art of voice. They sing in unison in the power of corporate song. The Congregational Song is the vehicle. That's what that is. It's the vehicle of worship. Not a performed presentational piece of music. Here's why. Let's talk about what I call the YouTube phenomenon. Singing brings people together like a good meal. Think about it, like a good meal around the table brings people together. Singing does the same thing. Music is the most international spoken language. Congregational song becomes corporate. Okay, so you have you have pastors. You know why they put up they want a big band? You've seen that in churches, they pastor wants a big band, they want a big choir. The old days, I don't know if they do it anymore, but I know in the old days when I was growing up, 
they put up the grand piano where that sit, where the grand piano sit, right in the center of the stage. Everybody would see. Why? Because it looked bigger. Why is that? Because the pastor liked it. Because it looked grander, it looked big, it looked huge. Big old impressive choir, impressive orchestra and music. Why? So the pastor looks good when he gets up and preaches. Everybody knows that, just no one says it. Is that the truth? So you hear this a lot. Yeah, but you know what? Our worship team is just, it's not where it needs to be. It's a little bit weak because we just need to have that, we need to have that electric guitar player just come through the door one day. Or we need to have that drummer. We've, we've been doing MIDI tracks, and man, I'm just really tired of that now. Or we need to have a bass player. Okay, th those are legitimate needs, but this is where it gets a little itchy. <clears throat> yeah, well, we need to have three guitar players. I'm talking two drummers. I want loop machines, and I want two people on a laptop over here, and I want five keyboard players. And I want 12 singers with mics all across the stage because we want to do what Hillsong United does. Why? Well, because the worship looks bigger. Well, okay, ask yourself the question then. Who does that really help here? Okay? Who does that serve here? Then why is it, if bigger is better, then why is it that you two can pack out a 60,000 stadium in Japan. And the people there sing all their music in English. They're not singing it in their own tongue. They're singing U2 songs in English. 60,000 people. How many guys are in U2? Three. Four. <laughs> you got You got to keep Adam in there, okay? <laughs> or Larry Mullen. He'll get upset. Four guys. Just take four guys, 60,000 people singing all the songs together. Why? Because look at who they are. They're not trying to be anybody that they're not. They are who they are. So when we join the congregation in the same room, the same floor, the same song, we're in the same heart. That's it. Plain and simple. So if you too can do it, why can't you at your church? Why can't God use you that effectively in your church too? You don't need to have that big grand thing going on. You don't need to have a big impressive PowerPoint or um, you got to have media shout because you want to have running videos and stuff for what? To serve your creative selfish ends? Sorry, but I can say that, okay? Because I love you. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be trying to help sharpen you. What is our job in selecting songs? To help people worship, number one. Number two is to join them in spirit, song, prayer, word, service, and in heart. Why? Because that's what we're commanded to in Ephesians 5.18. To speak to one another. So, why does song selection matter? How do they connect? Why should we care? Why should we care about song selection? Help us. What, what should we be thinking about the lyrical content of the songs that we choose? And what should we be looking for? Well, the first thing I'd say is that the lyrical content is extraordinarily important. Now, I know most worship leaders take that seriously, but I think some don't realize just how important it is. Because what people are using in worship is literally giving them the language of prayer, literally giving them the language of their faith. Often it's giving them their fundamental theology. Now, I've been a preacher, and I believe in preaching and teaching, but when I speak, people listen, they take it in, maybe they take home, you know, a tenth of what I've said. But when they learn music, they carry it with them. 
It is, in most cases, how they memorize theological truth and often how they memorize scripture. So, 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 you, so you see worship leading as a form of teaching? Oh, man, powerfully. Maybe yeah. even more important than the teaching that I tend to do in terms of actually shaping people's relationships with, with God and with each other and their sense of mission and the whole thing. Because, wow. because you know, music encompasses all that we are. It's, it's our heart and our soul, our mind, our strength. Uh, what we memorize musically really becomes a part of us. I mean, how many people do you know when they get in some point of crisis, you know, will we'll go back to a song that they've sung in worship, and that's what connects them to God. And so the main thing I want to say to worship leaders and worship teams is take absolutely seriously the lyrical content of your worship. Pay close attention to it. Care about its truthfulness. Care about its, its liveliness. Consider it as, as every bit as or even more important than the musical content or all the other, the, the other aspects of, of worship leading because the, the lyrics are the thing that are really going to shape individuals and shape a congregation in their relationship with God. And when is the last time when you sung words in your, song, in, in your services, when is the last time that you looked at them as prayers? Why not just start the service out or sometime in the service say, let us sing these sung prayers to God? Because that's what good music should be, right? Especially if you line it up with scripture accordingly. They should become prayers, sung prayers to God. That's what I say in our, in our church. When we sing, I said, brothers and sisters in Christ, those that we, you know, we, we're here together in the presence of God, and he knows our hearts, he hears our prayers, why not let us sing these words as some prayers to God? I mean, that will change the barometer in your church, big time. When people begin to identify and connect different aspects of what song is and how it works, maybe you can in introduce an instrumental and set it up by scripture. Remember we read about how David was in agony? Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. What would your where would your heart go to God when you're struck with those words, reading the scripture, and then you have a, a person come in and do a cello solo? I know it would bring me to tears. Because I can, I, can, I can hear the, the rises and falls with, within her playing. And, and you know, she's, she's bowing on one string. And she's playing higher notes and low notes on the same string. I, I forgot what that's called, but it's a, um, in doing that and using that strange resonance makes a richer sound by, instead of just going from string to string, but just using one string only. And it's that sense of resonance quality that I know it makes my, my heart just feel almost empty in a way, but yet I know that the joy of God is, is with me. Or maybe you do an acapella song. Maybe in how you choose your music should be based around the scriptures. Find the songs that you program in your weekly services and find, well, what scriptures go with these songs? What scriptures can I say to introduce the song if you're wanting to do the song forever? You know what? There's a passage in the Psalms. I forgot which one. It's in the later 100s. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God because, and it goes on and on and on. And have the congregation read that. 
We've done that in one service. It was effective. And I, I said, you know, give thanks to the Lord for the King of Kings. And they would all respond in Scripture. And we had, sorry, we had the Scripture here. And they would say, his love endures forever. And I would say, give thanks to the King of Kings because, and everyone would say, his love endures forever. And I'd say, well, let's sing about those words that we just read, and we go into the song forever. And it, it brings more continuity. It brings more meat to the bones and, and flesh that people can grab onto. So like what Mark was saying, when we walk out of our services, we're then shaped by that theological perspective of that song. We carry the tune with us. So I ask you the question, what tune and what theological words of Scripture are carrying inside of you? So, any questions on what was spoken, maybe what you heard from God today, maybe something that was more re-emphasized? Well, a couple of things. Uh, I, I second what you said about the theology of whether they're traditional hymns or contemporary songs. Um, one of the things I think we have to be careful of is that no single song can carry the full weight of the gospel. Right. So, and I think the key there is balance. That if we have a song that's primarily about the Son, we better have a song about the Father and that's right. about the Holy Spirit. Um, because the scriptures don't contain all there is of God. That's right. Uh, much less any one song. The other thing uh, was you were talking about songs of agony, which sometimes the term lament is used right. there. And I don't see many contemporary songs of lament. Maybe that's just my lack of knowledge of the repertory. I don't see many traditional hymns of lament either. Yeah. And so I, it's the feel-good thing. Yeah, I'm wondering, are we missing a whole genre? Yes, we are. Of songs? Yes, we are missing. Yeah, there's that. only a few, like in the Methodist hymn. No, there's only a few lamenting oh, yeah. hymns, you know. And when it, when it comes around, and you're stuck with, you know, these or things that they know, basically, um, because there's just not that I agree with you. Well, I wish I had a keyboard here right now, because I would demonstrate to you how you can take a contemporary song and change the chords just a little bit to make it more reflective. Uh, you know, Lord, I lift you in my heart, right? Okay, write these chords down if you can. Right, write down E minor, C, and G. Let's say we're playing in the key of G. Okay. E minor, C, and G. And then the last dominant chord would be D. Transition up into the chorus. Chorus goes right back to G again. And on the, the one chord. And then play the song out. I do this now. When you go home, or next time in front of the piano, play E minor. Lord, I see him on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. Now, if you hit that E minor chord against those words, those words sound happy and lucky, right? But when you change that choral structure, it gives those words a whole new meaning. And then the song launches out the chorus, you came from heaven to earth. And then it's a major one at that moment instead of a minor one. But the minor one's got a specific detail quality. Just one note makes a difference. And that's how simple you, simply you can change the music that you're doing to make it more reflective and make it more limited. 
I, I think you're right, absolutely. We don't have a, a time in our services where we do lament or where we're silent. When's the last time that you doubted worship? Well, this became a problem, I think, for a lot of us and a lot of churches after 9 11. Yeah. You know, what, what did you sing in the service yeah. after that? Well, that's so the Lord true. The Almighty just doesn't quite fit there. Uh, and, uh, so we need to have some in our record. You know what? What what I did in, in the uh, the Lutheran church when we when we did Lent. Now I don't know why, but it's never struck me before. But Lent's not a happy time. You know, it's not. It's it's a time of agony. It's a time of Jesus sweated blood, drops from his head. He carried the cross. He knew what was coming. He knew death was at the door. And then we're singing these happy songs during Lent. You know, now maybe your church doesn't celebrate Lent. I don't know. The church that we're in really doesn't celebrate Lent. We acknowledge it, but we really just do Good Friday and you know Easter Sunday, like every other Christian church would do. But when I was at liturgical church, we celebrated Lent. Had Wednesday service every Wednesday, Mass. It wasn't a Catholic thing, but we did songs through the week that were all in minor. And I, I freaked out because my pastor said, "Okay, I don't want any happy songs during this time." I'm like, what? Now I want every song either in a minor chord or if it's in a major, if it's in a major one, then we're going to do a, a reflective lyric song. It's like Cross of Jesus, Cross of Sorrows. We did that. We did the song, um, you know, the Charles Harris song, uh, Lamb of God. But we did it in a minor key. Uh, try playing the song Forever, Chris Tomlin. Try playing that in minor one. We did that. We just took songs that we knew and play them in the minor one, or vacillate between um, uh, minor one and the four chord, or the two chord, and just kind of change it up a little bit, just going back and forth. And then what happened was, it was weird at first, but it became this really centric tone of understanding the, the agony that Christ went through. And then we began to put ourselves in that position. When do you do that in worship, where you, you put yourself in the position where God or Christ or where the Spirit was groaning, where 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 uh, in the Psalms it says that uh, my bones, um, what does he say that they they felt broken, the, the shallowness that he felt, the, the depths of his soul. I mean, when do we feel that in our services? So when we when we had these Ash Wednesday and Lenten services, those songs became this magnet, where it didn't mean that we need to go to church unhappy. It just meant that. We were to almost, in a sense, grieve with God over the acts of what happened back in history. Because that gives us a sense of true mercy of who Christ really was. Christ wasn't just all about the happy little child that sits on his knee and bounces him up and down and you know, do good to your neighbor and stuff. No, Jesus was mud and spit. He used mud and spit to heal a blind man's eyes. Eyes. He was the God that, that who, who did not condemn anyone because he knew what the depths of agony was on the cross so when did, in our service do we really contemplate that the depths of that and then sing about it and then try this and then what happened on on good friday we just did songs acapella and it just sent chills to the room and we ended we did like a tenebrae service we ended the service in just candlelight and then darkness people walked out and sunday came could you imagine what happened 
During the whole month, it's all dark songs. And then Sunday came. And we had gold uh, banners up. We had the PowerPoint bright lights. And we did all songs of joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. That was the first song we did. I'm telling you what, our church came alive that day. I mean, doesn't that seem get chilled? I'm getting chills right now. It's not the AC. Why it's only not this hot already. But, wow. I mean, when that opened up, and people came in, and they came and they said, they, they were telling the pastor on the whole worship team, thank you for not doing all the joyful songs because I get it now. Because when they stepped in Sunday morning, they then understood why we were agreeing with God, basically, of the agony of the, the, the sin of our own, that how horrible we were before God, before Christ came. And then when Christ comes, we see the mercy of God. That's what it means about law and grace. And then understanding the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ, and then experiencing that. And wow, that will change, that will change your environment in your church. So use these songs, use the lyrics. Decipher them. Line them up to Scripture. Um, I'm glad that you said early on about worship being an activity where you said teaching and learning, but it doesn't matter. It's a teaching tool. Worship uh, right. Uh, I'm a retired music teacher, and most most people I've met, kids are they they know what they like yeah. because they like what they already know. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us as Christians to be open to learn new things. Right. And sing a new song. Right. And so the older people need to be open to some new things, but the younger people need to be open to some of the older things to get the best of both yeah. worlds. Because uh, uh, right. You know, we there's just more to know. Yeah. And and it's a journey. It's a journey to to know God. We can't just know everything we did when we were 25. Yeah, and, and it's not all about the New Testament. And what you're saying is so true. So, so, so the tradition this. is part of it, as well as the refreshing right. new things. But that doesn't mean everything old is terrible and boring. No, it doesn't. It means, some new things are terrible and boring. Well, we have to look. Yeah, that's right. Or scary. There, there's, a, there's a point. We have to look back through history to figure out where we came from and where we're going. And if you think about it, you, you won't, that's why you won't find in the New Testament a series of worship. Worship is hardly mentioned in the New Testament. It's only mentioned in just very small, few areas because that wasn't the purpose. The, the purpose of the New Testament was to share the gospel. You find worship in the Old Testament. So let the words of Scripture be your foundation of your worship, of your study of Scripture, when you program your services. Intently look at the words. Choose the songs rightly. Learn to acclaim God. Learn to approach Him rightly and share these truths with your team. So, thanks for coming today. And I look forward to come back and, and join the other classes we have this afternoon, the rest of the week. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet that's on the front. Uh, we have a book. The things I'm teaching come from a book. We also have a DVD coming out. And we have upcoming webinars, video consulting. And if you'd like for me to come out to your church to conduct a weekend workshop with you and your team, Please speak with me or speak with one of my interns and let us know. Sign up for an email newsletter if you can. And I hope to learn more about you and the ministry that you serve and which you serve. So thank you again for coming. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. 
To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.